Jesus Christ. Because of what he has done, he substituted for us. So a Christian doesn't absolutely obey, unfortunately, but because to absolutely commit means it is the willingness to obey absolutely. So those are the two things we tackled last week. Um, and, and we discussed that it's an unpopular, right? The, the, the commitment is an unpopular word because commitment makes a person vulnerable and no one likes that. You put your entire weight on, some, on something. You give your entire life to someone. That's marriage, right? You make that commitment. When you become a parent, you're committed to your children. And nobody likes that. Not anymore. Our culture hates that. Our culture now has been more on promoting happiness, self-fulfillment. So the illustration of commitment is, is we all can relate through marriage and as parents in a family. And the key in commitment is knowing who or what you're committing yourself into. It makes it either a smart decision if the person that you committed your life to returns the favor, it makes it, it, makes it a wrong decision if the person backs out from that commitment. And remember when we tackled uh, John John Dario Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had to get that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one great value, he went away, sold everything he had, he had and bought it. So the explanation is if we know, if we have discovered the treasure, the pearl, the truth about who Jesus is, we are to give our all. We are to commit our entire self, our entire life to Him. The problem, as we discussed last week, the problem is that we have not, some of us have not seen the true treasure in Jesus Christ. Or some of us have seen that, but then we still get attracted to the world. We still get attracted to the, 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 uh, everything about the world. This is the next verses about the world. 1 John 2.15, this is in King James Version. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And in James 4.4, 4, it says, You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So this is to speak to, um, to us Christians that are probably still on the fence of completely committing ourselves to Christ. To Christ. Well, we saw the, the prayer in, in, in Gethsemane. Well, Jesus committed his entire life, knowing the suffering that he's going to go through, he still did it. He was on his knees, he was praying three times, and he still, despite the knowledge of the pain, despite, despite the stress that he was going through, he submitted to God because there was no other way. So our next topic tonight which was the third point last week, is surrender. So if you see here on verse, in verse 42, 
Jesus' surrender to God the Father. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And we didn't see this last week because we read from Matthew, but in Luke it says here, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. I want to point out here, again, we spoke about it last week, but I want to point out Jesus' prayer life. Jesus' prayer life. As he was approaching the cross, he prayed earnestly. Well, we all know, if you've read your Bible, he always prayed. Whether it was a successful ministry or there was a challenge ahead of him or there was a challenge before him, he was prayerful. He was prayerful. In this, in the midst of this fear of coronavirus, believers, are you praying more? If you found if you find yourself praying more because of your concern with the coronavirus, then praise God for the coronavirus. Because he, he got you praying. He got you praying. Praise God for this worry that you have because He got you to pray. Because when things were well, when you were healthy, when there was no problem, you weren't praying. You weren't talking to God. He was just a source of the blessing. A quick breath of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings. But now you're concerned with the coronavirus. You're you're down in your knees. You're crying. You're crying and you're praying more earnestly. You're reading the Word and it's making sense. Psalm 91 is being alive Joshua 1.9 is being alive in your, in your heart. It's being real. So praise God. But if you're still not praying, you're busy looking at new articles about coronavirus, new news clips, new information. You're worried about the coronavirus. You're making yourself worry more by getting more information of the things that you already know. And, and, you know, misery loves company, right? Misery loves company. Those people that love to worry, they want others to worry with them. Now, it's one thing about information. There's one thing about being informed and being safe. It's another thing about just being a worrywart. I know people will probably argue with me on that, but it's a totally different thing. Because if you look at Jesus's prayer life in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that he was going to be sacrificed on the cross, he went to prayer. And he told, I know we tackled this last week, he told his disciples, pray lest you fall into temptation. He, one of them is Peter. Before that, he told Peter, you be careful. You pray because you have been asked. You were asked to be sifted. But he slept. Now, physically, when we're sleeping, what can we do? Nothing, right? We're just resting. A, a person who's physically sleeping cannot do anything but occupy space. Now, spiritually speaking, a person who's spiritually sleeping is the same thing. You're only occupying space. And a person who's sleeping and there's a robber inside the house the father sleeping, the children are awake. Can the father protect the children? No, he can't. It's the same thing spiritually. If you 
have children and, and you're concerned about this coronavirus, you are the first person to always be down on your knees and pray. You're the first person who's asking God for protection. You're the most diligent one praying. If you're a believer in your family, you're the first person to always be praying. Now, the problem is we want the prayer to solve the problem. We want a Facebook post that says, praise God, there's no more coronavirus. But like any other problem, it takes more than one night. It takes more than a week. Sometimes it takes more than a year of praying before our prayers are answered. But it doesn't mean, just like the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, if you are willing to take this cup away from me, right? Why would, even, why would Jesus even ask that? Jesus showed us that we can constantly ask God for the things that are challenging our hearts. But He also shows us that we must be surrendered. We should be surrendered to God the Father because God knows better than us. And He can be trusted. The first point, there's three points in this surrender part of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. The first part is he trusted God the Father. He trusted God. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7, I've included 7. We should be able to memorize, I mean, most of us have memorized this, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your, in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will Direct your paths. In my version here. In verse 7, I included it here because it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. When we're surrendering to God, the only time that you can completely and utterly surrender to God is if you trust Him. If you know Him to be good. If you know Him to be sovereign. If you know Him to be powerful. The only way you can trust someone is if you truly know them, correct? Now, if you know a person that they're flaky, that they say one thing and you have a good feeling feeling because from the past, they changed their minds on you, <laughs> right? You can't trust their first thing that they'll say because most of the time, they'll revert their decision. They'll change their decision or they won't show up. As they promise, right? If you ask a friend and you know he's kind of flaky to help you move, you tell you, yeah, I'll be there Saturday, 9 o'clock. So it will be wrong of you to take him for his word if many times ago he changed his mind and didn't show up. Correct? Now it's the same thing with God. It will be wrong of you to trust God if he has failed you before. So the question is, folks, God did. How many times did God fail you? Now, some someone who have who has lost their loved one and surrendered to God, you know, prayed to God, Lord, please heal my husband, please heal my my son, and then and then their loved one passed. They could say God didn't answer my prayer. But then we we look at God Jesus's prayer, the second God, the second person in the Godhead. He asked. God the Father, if there is any other way, take this cup away from me. But then what's the latter part of his prayer? Yet not my will, but let your will be done. 
Now, if Jesus is surrendered to God the Father and His goodness and His sovereignty and His knowledge, His wisdom, because Jesus knows that, okay, there is a bigger purpose here, but I'm feeling the need to ask that He takes it away from me. But at the same time, I should be surrendered to Him. I should be surrendered to Him that He can be trusted. It's difficult. In, in the King James Version, the word trust, is, is they use the word commit. Commit. And we did study the word commitment, right? Completely giving your whole weight. I, I, I never do, I've never done it. Before, there were some exercises, you know, group exercises in our company. Well, you do the, the trust fall. You guys know what I'm talking about? You'll be part of the team. And then, and then this person, one person will fall back, you know, backwards. And the team, his team members or her team members will catch him or her. So she can only, the person can only do it if he or she trusts the team members, her friends. That's the same with God. The only way that you can completely and utterly trust God, oh, I mean, believe in God, is if you trust Him. The only way that you can commit yourself to God, commit your ways to Him, is if you trust Him, right? Commit and trust is synonym, synonymous, but at the same time, we look at our lives, even with the coronavirus. We, we, we are given, we are all given the knowledge because information overload is, is, is what we have. We've been given information how to protect ourselves, how to sanitize, what not to do and what to do. Now, it's really all up to us if we are to exercise what we were told. Most of us here in America, we have an insurance to where we can see, make us an appointment and see our doctors and, and if we were showing symptoms of it. But unfortunately, some of us won't take a, don't, don't take advantage of that. Some of us are, are full of bravado, like, oh, I'm not going to get sick. I never get sick. You know? So it's there's because we don't trust what? We don't, we don't, you know. Some people don't want to go to the doctors because they don't want to pay the copay. Well, I didn't have insurance for a long time, and I paid the whole thing. You know, the, if you don't have insurance in this country, you just go to the ER, and the ER has to take you. And you just pay them. Payment arrangements. I was expert on that one. 20 bucks per month for a $2,000 bill. <laughs> and, you know, they pay you forever. Pay them. They'll take you forever, but you're going to make a promise. But some of us don't make the effort. Some of us neglect the truth that we're told, even the truth about Jesus, even especially the truth about God. When God says, I will protect you, is that enough? Yes, that's an amen, because He will protect us. But now, you go to work and somebody sneezed in front of you, let's say in front of your face, and you're going to say, God will protect me. <laughs> Go ahead. This will not affect me. You read all the di all the all the reports that that's one great way to take it or get it. You're gonna, you're gonna tell me you're gonna say God will protect me, and then you get sick. You're like God did protect me. No, you were stubborn. You were given the information and you didn't take advantage of it, right? So Jesus' surrender to God wasn't. I'm not saying he had a difficult time surrendering to God because in his prayer, he says, but not my will, but let your will be done. He trusted his father. He trusted his, he trusted his father. 
a person that is surrounded. Okay? Imagine, I love watching FPJ movies in the Philippines before. And it's, and it's always the last scene most of the time is the, ba the, the bad guys are surrounded by the good guys. You know? Usually the cops, right? And they're on their megaphone. And they're going to tell you, you are surrounded. Surrender. Right? It's so unpopular these days to surrender. Because it's never say die society now. Why would I surrender? Why would I surrender my happiness? I can just divorce my wife. Why would I surrender my life? I'm still young. I can still have a lot of good times out there. Why would I surrender my happiness in behalf of my children? That's two that I have to bring to college. But if I leave them now, all my money is mine. <laughs> Why would I surrender? Why would I surrender to God? Well, everything about the world is telling me, everything that, that God's telling me in the Bible the word tells me the opposite. For the single guys, the, the Bible says keep yourself pure. The world says you're missing out. It's spring break. Come. Coronavirus available. <laughs> That's the first point. Jesus' surrender to God the Father was possible because he trusted his Father. The second point of his surrender is because there was no other way. There's no other way. In Leviticus 17, 11, verse 11 reads, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. In Hebrews 9.22 reads, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was necessary that Jesus will die on the cross, that Jesus will, will shed his blood. That's why he surrendered. That's why he surrendered to God's will. Because he knew, Jesus knew that there was no other way. Because if there was another way, God the Father would have provided that. God the Father would have provided that. Right? And praise God that it was the only way. Because Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and John 17, 17, 3 says, Ephesians first, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. John 17, 3 reads, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Praise God that Jesus surrendered to God's will. Or else we will all still be condemned to hell. Because the only true payment for our sins against God the Father is by the shedding of blood. As we've read in Leviticus and as we read in Hebrews 9.22. You see, there's no more... Us trying to earn our salvation is foolish. But us living our lives, proving that we are saved is another thing. Correct? We are saved by grace, not by works, so that no one can boast. The third point is he obeyed. Jesus' surrender 
as we broke it into three, is uh, the last part was he obeyed. In Hebrews 10, 5, 7, it reads, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. And I have come to do your will, my God. That's also in Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8. And in verse 10, and then it reads, And that, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Praise God, our Jesus, our Lord, was obedient. And part of his surrender needed obedience. Obedience really is surrendering our right. It's giving up our right. Sin is telling God, it's my right to live my life the way I want to. Right? And then it's, and then obedience is saying, Lord, I'm giving you my right. To my life and I will obey what you want me to do even if it's difficult Jesus is surrender Jesus is surrender by him shedding his blood Jesus giving his life for us as a payment for our sins as Christians we always hear it and at the same time there's a tendency that we take it for granted we take it for granted because we've heard it many times. And our friends that are around us are Christians too. And we all know the same thing. And we go to church and we hear it and we take it for granted. But if, just think about it. On how this whole week, how you've lived this whole week. Did you live it perfectly? Was there a time that you, did you even live a twelve in a span of 12 hours? Were you able to obey God? Were you able to obey the Ten Commandments in a 12-hour span? Let's break it into let's break it into four hours. Were you able to live the two greatest commandments in a span of four hours? Let's try this exercise. After this, after tonight, as you step out of these doors, as you step out of your doors there at your house, or as you hang up this phone, um, try to be happy for someone else. Try to be sincerely happy for someone else's success, someone else's happiness. Try to, try to do that for at least one hour and then follow it, follow it up without saying anything bad about someone or thinking bad about someone. And then try to see if you make it into that hour, try to see how difficult it was. Because honestly, we're still all, we still have the sinful nature that we find it difficult. I was telling Anna, I find it so difficult for me to be happy for the people that I don't like. Honestly, if I'm going to be honest, the people that I love, oh my gosh, I love it when I hear good things that, that's happening in their lives because I like them and they like me. I love them and they love me. Obviously, it's a mutual thing. But the people that irritate me, and then I see it on my Facebook that they're going on a trip. And I'm like, oh my gosh, a trip again? 
what is this guy doing? Is he back selling drugs? You know, you're, you're, you're hating, you're hating, your, your jealousy just builds up, right? And jealousy is a sin. Try to exercise not to be jealous about someone. Try to exercise not, try to see if you can be happy for someone that you don't like for at least one hour. And you see how difficult it is. And then when you find how difficult that is, then try to remember. And then thank God. Thank Jesus for his obedience, for his surrender, for his payment. For him shedding his blood in payment of your sins and mine. So that we can have eternal life. There's this story about two Chinese brothers in San Francisco back in the um, 1920s. Uh, the younger brother was pretty wild. He was running with the wrong crowd. You know, he's had a, he has a gambling problem. He had a gambling problem. So he had, a, um, he had an outstanding balance that he couldn't pay. So the, the, the crew, the gang, went to get the brother. It, while the, brother was, the younger brother was defending himself, he ended up killing one of the guys in the, in, in the restaurant. He ended up killing him with his bare hands. So the younger brother comes home, runs home, and takes off his bloody shirt. It was a hat of bloody shirt. And put it under their bed, under his bed. And then the, the, the older brother comes home, and he finds out what happened you know, from, his, from their mom. This is what happens when your bro younger brother did. So the younger brother changed clothes and left town, left town. So the older brother realized what's going to happen to his younger brother. That if they find him, he's going to go to jail and they're going to, he's going to get executed. So what the older brother did when he heard the cops coming to their, to their door, he took, he took the shirt and he wore it. And he's an older brother, so they're brothers. They have resemblance. So the witnesses were with the cops and they said, no, 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 that's the older one. It was the younger one. It was the younger one. But the older brother goes, you made a mistake. It was me. It was me. The older brother basically took the fall for the younger brother. So trial came. The older brother said it was me who ended up killing that guy. The older brother was executed. The, the younger brother heard what happened. At first, he didn't care. He was happy that his brother took it. And then when he, he found out his brother died, he felt a little bit, but he took it for, it took him a, a, few, a few more months before he came back to his senses. And he goes, that's messed up that I did, it, that, did that to my brother. He goes to, to San, back to San Francisco, admitted that it was him. It was him who committed the crime. But the cops told him, it's too late. Crime has been paid by your brother. There's no double jeopardy. They can't even charge him, despite the fact he was admitting it. Our older brother is Jesus. He took that shirt that we all committed, that stained shirt of blood, all our sin, all the chismis that we did, all the jealousy that we have, all the adulterous thoughts that we had, all the impure thoughts, all the lies, all the actions, all the greed, Everything that we have done and can sometimes continue to do, God, Jesus took that shirt, that blood-stained shirt, to be the payment for our sins. He took that coronavirus-infected shirt. Everything about Jesus' life from the very beginning, you realize this, 
that he knew. He knew that he had to live his life for God. For the pleasure of his father. From the manger. Imagine Jesus being the second person in the Godhead. Was born in a manger. Not in the castle, but in the manger. And at 12 years old, when he was lost, he told his step-parents, Why are you looking for me? Don't you know that I should be about my father's business? Luke 2.49 At the age of 12, he knew. And in front of Pontius Pilate, Remember, he wasn't saying a word to Pontius Pilate. And, and Pontius Pilate was kind of a bit, he was offended. Like, and he said, don't you realize, right? John 10, 10, Pontius Pilate speaking. This is the New International Version. He says, do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize that I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And then Jesus' surrender to God's will. Because we know that a part of Jesus, when he was praying in the garden, he said, take this cup away from me. But after that prayer, he was strengthened by the Holy Spirit. God gave him the strength to face the challenge. And this is Jesus' answer. You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. You see the resolve of Jesus? Pilate was giving him an out. Pilate was telling him, just talk to me and I can let you go. But you refuse to talk to me. You have this confidence standing there quiet, not even pleading to me. You see, a person... A person who's prayerful, a person that is surrendered to God, a person who knows God, has peace in the midst of trouble. Jesus had the peace. People were yelling at him after getting punched and spat on and then put that, that crown, that, the crown of thorns on his head. He's all bruised up after the scourging in the pillar. Or that was before. He, he, he was just there. He had the peace. He didn't even ask for rescue from Pilate, the person that can actually get him out of this situation. Because God, Jesus knew who God is. And Jesus was all about obeying God's will. Despite the danger that he was facing. Now, I was telling, again, I only have Anna Lou to talk to. We were quarantined, right? <laughs> I had Annalou again, and I said, babe, the more I look at Jesus' obedience, it, it gives you a different perspective in life. Right? He, he was, people were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And he was just there quiet, not saying a word. Because he knew that that's his purpose. Now, I've realized this. Until you're ready to die for God, you can't live for Him. Until a missionary is ready to, to face the, the question or to answer the question, what if I get captured sharing the, the gospel in the Middle East and they chop my head off? 
Until he answers, yes, that's okay. He can't, he can't, right? He can't go. He can't serve God. Until, until you're ready to die for God, you can't serve Him. You can't serve Him. But then at the same time, until you're ready to live for Him, you really can't die for Him. Some people will, will, will say the, the martyr words like, I'm ready to die for Jesus. Coronavirus, never mind. <laughs> never mind, I'll stay home. <laughs> never mind, I'll stay home. I'm all about Jesus. Jesus this, Jesus that. Coronavirus. Nope, never mind. No more sharing the word for now. I'm just... Right? Until... There's, there's two things there. Until a person is ready to die for God, you can't serve Him. You can't live for Him. Until a person is ready to live for God, you can't die for Him. That makes sense? I, I guess it's not so deep, but... For me, as I was reading this, because Jesus, Jesus lived for God. Because He was ready to die for God. And He died for God because he, he, he lived for Him. He knew Him. He served Him. And His service for God, Him following His Father, He knew that it will cost Him His life. Same with the apostles. Same with the disciples. Jesus told them, Jesus told them, all of you will face trouble because of me. But behold, I have overcome the world. Now that's why us, the Christians now, that's why our, our movement, our Christian movement isn't so powerful because you give us one big test and we fold. And the reason because of that folding is we don't do enough praying. We're like the disciples. We were told to pray lest you fall. And what do we do? Yeah, praying. We use it as a sleeping aid. We use prayer as a sleeping aid. We use reading the Bible as a sleeping aid. We use preaching as a sleeping aid. <laughs> Not you guys. I know you guys are all awake right now. Here, the people here. You guys there. <laughs> you guys are probably sleeping right now. <laughs> well, that's the third point, And that's the last point. I just want us to remember, I'll never forget, that if Jesus didn't do what he did, we will all be doomed. We will all be doomed. And us Christians, with this coronavirus fear that is going around, we should be the source of peace for our co-workers and our friends. We should be the source of peace. We shouldn't be the, the ones that are fear-mongering them. Right? We shouldn't be the ones posting fear-mongering things on Facebook. Oh my gosh, the world's going to end. No, we should be the ones to say, you know what? If you do the necessary steps, you know, the, the government, the CDC has given us what we need to do. If you just follow all that stuff, you'll be okay. And you know, I can pray for you. And you know, if I was telling my cousin from Seattle because... I texted her, I was just checking on her, and she goes, do you think the world's going to end? <laughs> I know she was being sarcastic, so I said, eventually, <laughs> eventually it will. And then I told her, this is one of the craziest years, isn't it? The beginning of the year, we had a scare, the World War III scare, and then, and then the Australia burning. Mike, it was good to remind me that. And then Kobe Bryant dying. <laughs> Economy crashing. 
right? The the the, the common denominator is there. There's fear of the, the death. Life is 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 fleeting, and death is real. And I, I told my cousin, people should be questioning: Is there a God? Is there a heaven or is there a hell? And if I die, where am I going? And then I got no reaction, no reply. And then I sent another text. I said, too bad people are still too rich for this truth. Because we're too rich, huh? We're too smart. This is 2020. Who's talking about God? Who's talking about sin? Who's talking about heaven and hell? It's 2020. I have $100,000 in my bank. I'll have a master's degree. Why do I have to worry about if I'm going to die? I'm healthy. Right? We have lost our path. And we don't even know what's right or wrong anymore in this society. But so, after tonight, we're going to be tackling sin. Because we did discuss that God, there was no other way for our sin to be paid, but blood must be shed. So, the next, next Sunday, we'll be talking about sin why Jesus had to pay for it, right? So that's what we're going to be doing. But that is our message tonight. Hopefully you folks there at your home um, were able to um, listen to the whole thing. I apologize if our, our volume is not loud enough for you, but I praise God that you are all safe there. I thank you for uh, the team that came up, that came out, uh, because it's so hard to uh, preach to, uh, to empty chairs. I'm, I'm glad you guys came. God bless you. And to our visitors, yes, I'm sorry I didn't have your email. Um, and, um, I forgot, Dennis, I forgot to message you, but I'm glad you're here. You're able to hear the message. And Brother Lee, I'm glad you're here. Uh, please join me in the word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you once again for your words, for teaching us. We thank you for your surrender to God, to God the Father, to be willing to be his lamb to be the ultimate sacrifice for our sins in order for us to have eternal life. The torture behind that punishment, we can only imagine and our minds can't fathom the pain as much as we don't even deserve that sacrifice, that love, that gift of grace for our salvation. Lord, all we can say is thank you and may your name be praised. Help us, Lord, truly, to understand the cost and to truly understand the implications of that truth. You dying for us and help us, Lord God, be responsible with those truths that you have given to us and make us not forget it. Help us to live for you. Help us to surrender to you, to your will, and to your ways for our lives. I pray that we will glorify you. And I pray, Lord God, if we are all having a hard time living for you, I pray that you will just help us surrender. Give us the willingness to surrender our rights to our lives. Father, may you be glorified. And all of this we ask in your mighty son's name we pray. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and all the Lord's people said,